as most of you or all of you know, we're going through a series called Ambassadors. Okay, it's based on 2 Corinthians 5 where it talks about, I want to be an ambassador for Christ, and so we make an appeal on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We've spent the majority of the semester talking about evangelism, making disciples. That, uh, that language comes out of Matthew 28, how we started the semester, and by the way, how we're going to finish the semester next week when you come next week. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Are you making disciples is the question. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I think this will help us. Uh, Since we've been spending the bulk of our time on evangelism, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't talk about discipleship. What is discipleship? And the two, by the way, aren't as different as we're prone to think. Discipleship and evangelism. Uh, Let's see if we can demonstrate. Let's see if I can demonstrate. Funnel it down how evangelism and discipleship connect as we look at this text together. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. Paul says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. He's talking about the letter here that he's writing, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you did not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Paul wrote to admonish. He was their spiritual father. And as their spiritual father, he admonished him to do this. Imitate me. Paul says, imitate me. He became their spiritual father as one who would share the gospel with them. Who would introduce them to the gospel in which they believed. Whereby they became regenerate. They become spiritual sons and daughters of him. They're new creations in Christ. They're spiritual children. And Paul is their spiritual father. And so by that authority, he says, imitate me. Watch my life. Imitate me. Discipleship, believe it or not, the focus of tonight, discipleship, crucial as it is, fundamental as it is, it's difficult to define. It's difficult to put into a kind of a concrete, pithy statement that I could give you. I'm going to try. But I believe that discipleship, if it's helpful, can be boiled down to this in many ways. Influence. A large part of discipleship is influence. You're only in 1 Corinthians 4. Go to chapter 11 with me. Follow me to chapter 11. I'll show you what I mean. This verse, chapter 11, verse 1, it probably belongs to the previous set of verses. What I mean by that is chapter 10, uh, 23 through 32, 33. And uh, as you know, the chapter breaks aren't inspired, and so... The guy who put him in decided to make a chapter break here. But Paul's describing uh, what it looks like to influence what Christian liberty is. It sums up Paul's argument on eating, Christian conscience, Christian living, Christian liberty. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And Avi says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, I like J.B. Phillips' paraphrase. He says, copy me, my brothers, as I copy Christ himself. Copy me. Copy me. The word for imitation is mimetes, where we get our English word mimic. Mimic. Mimetes. Mimic me. Paul says, you mimic me as I mimic Christ. That's where our title comes from. Mimic me. You see how I'm living? So far as it conforms to the image of Christ, mimic it. Imitate it, copy it, follow it. 
Listen, why I got hold of this idea as it pertains to Christian discipleship, it transformed my thinking about discipleship. Can you believe that? I hope that I can give you a taste of that tonight. Mimic me. Some say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. That may be true, but I believe this. Imitation is the greatest example. It's the greatest manifestation of the fruit of real biblical discipleship. Imitation may be flattery, but I believe it's the greatest fruit of biblical, real discipleship. Think of a father and son relationship. You've heard this kind of language before. Uh, That guy, that little boy, he's just a shadow of his father. He's just a mere image. Why? Because that little boy respects, he appreciates, he wants to be like his dad. He mimics him. He mimics him. Paul, the time he's writing to the people at Corinth, the church at Corinth, he'd lived with these people for 18 months. He's now writing from a distance. He hopes to send Timothy to him as his example because Timothy's been busy mimicking Paul. But in those 18 months, he would have had a living before them to now where he could say, imitate me, mimic me. See what I did? As I follow Christ, follow me. Paul said this often. He said it often. This is a straightforward concept, isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to spend all night on these words, on this short verse, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, but I want to use this. To, I want to use the rest of Scripture to help us understand this. It's a straightforward concept. I don't need to explain it to you. Follow Christ followers as they follow Christ. Follow mature Christians as they follow Christ. Straightforward concept. You know what's surprising to me? Not that it's straightforward, but how few Christians I see doing this. Can you look at younger Christians? Can you say confidently, not proudly, but can you say confidently, watch me, follow my life. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul did say that. He said it repeatedly. We'll look at some of those examples. This wasn't merely, by the way, because Paul was just an apostle. You know he was an apostle, and as an apostle, he had apostolic authority. But I don't believe he said this because he was an apostle. I believe he said it because what he wrote in Galatians 2.20, it was true of him. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave His life for me. It's no longer Paul who lives. That's why he could say, mimic me, imitate me, follow me. That's big, isn't it? You catching the flavor? That's why he said and he wrote in Ephesians 5.1, imitate God. That's why 1 John 2.6 reads this way. Uh, Whoever says he abides in him ought to what? Walk. You seniors, we covered this four years ago. You remember it? Walk in the same manner as Christ walked. Walk like Christ walked. That wasn't even written by the time Paul wrote this. But it's the same. It's the, it's, the co- it's the coherence of Scripture. It's the cohesiveness of Scripture. You want to live as a Christian? Live like Christ. And where you see other people living like Christ, imitate them. Mimic them. If you're not ready to say this, I just ask you honestly to ask, why not? Why aren't you ready to say this? Are you headed in a direction at least in four months, four months, four weeks this summer sometime to be able to say to a younger Christian, follow me as I follow Christ. Mimic me as I mimic Christ. I find that there's in Christianity, in the circles I'm in, a dangerous sort of self-degrading that's also strangely self-exalting 
this kind of false humility that says, you know, I'm just not any good. I'm not really any good in the Christian life, and I don't really have anything down. I'm not perfect. And I would agree. I'm not perfect either. I, I don't have it all down. But the question is, are you trying to figure it out? Are you going to the Word? Is your life being increasingly conformed to the image of Christ? So that you can say as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, There's a wonderful, by the way, I think, amount of responsibility and accountability for people who say this. For people who live this. I'm convinced strange as it sounds, that there'd be need for less accountability groups if there was more disciple makers. Here's what I mean. When you're ready to say to someone, follow me as I follow Christ, or when someone comes to you and says, hey, can I follow you as you follow Christ? That puts an enormous amount of responsibility on you, doesn't it? It does. Someone's now watching you. They're watching your life, your ministry, your walk. They're watching you when you don't know they're watching you. Some of you think that's creepy. I think that's discipleship. I think that's Paul saying, mimic me, watch me. Uh, There's a wonderful amount of responsibility and accountability that's born into these discipleship relationships. I think of of, uh, even the accountability of being a parent. (laughs) The other day, Brooke and I laughed so much at our little girl. And she, (laughs) you're going to think we're mean. She fell over and she kind of stumbled and bonked her head. And it was really funny. I was trying not to... I was trying not to laugh, and so I covered my mouth like this and, you know, did one of those numbers. And she saw me do it. And you know what she does every time she laughs? Not every time. Majority of time when she laughs now, <laughs> she covers her mouth. She imitates me. And I'm like, I didn't even want you to see that. That's what discipleship is. People are now watching your life. They're ready to imitate you. Do you want them imitating you? And I want to just, as we move on from 1 Corinthians 11 and try and explain it and build some foundation under it with other Scripture, explain and make a qualifying statement here about the limitations of human imitation. The limitations of human imitation. I think there's a qualifying statement that should be put in here that understands this this verse is something like this. So far as I follow Christ, so far as I imitate Christ, imitate me. Where I depart from His example, depart from it. Where you see good, Christ-honoring, conforming to Scripture things in my life, emulate, imitate those things. Where you see me departing, don't do it. Where we depart, where a discipler departs, we also should too. Okay. Now the question is this. Here's the question I want to ask. Imitate, but imitate how? How should we imitate? How should we imitate? I want you to go from 1 Corinthians to Philippians. Okay, Philippians. First uh, and 2 Corinthians, and then we're in Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace be with you all. I'll read it again. What you have learned and received and what heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace be with you. Word and practice, heard and seen. Get this, discipleship involves both informational dissemination through the word of mouth and through the life of an individual. Imitation occurs occurs in both of those contexts. So this influence is done, let me say it this way, primarily in two ways. 
in word and in action. We might say in speech and in hearing. Imitation in these two ways. Let me try and say it this way. Sum it up. I don't know if you guys have that slide. Here it is. Discipleship is done both by speaking and teaching. That's by hearing words. And by living and practicing. That's by seeing actions. It's done by living and practicing the truth in close and calculated proximity to other believers. Now I know that's kind of lengthy, but that's about the best I could do. It's helpful for me to understand it in these ways. In seeing and in hearing. Okay? In listening and in doing. So let's see the truth in actions through living and let's hear the truth in words or in teaching. Is that clear? Is that dichotomy clear? Okay? In both of those ways. Let's start with seeing. Let's start with sight, with seeing. With seeing what? Well, with seeing their lives, their practices, their actions. One of our elders uses this phrase sometimes and it always sticks with me. I hope I never forget it. It's three words. What happens teaches. What happens teaches. That is to say, what happens, what we do as a church, what we present as Christians, that teaches, that influences. I hope I never forget that. Listen, there isn't any of this do as I say, not as I do sort of stuff in Christianity. I don't have any time for that. If a discipler, if any Christian tries to tell you that, run. Go the other direction. It's not do as I say, not what I do. It's do as I do. Do as I live. That's the whole idea here. Mimic me. There's no room for that kind of language. There's no room for faulty examples. Okay? There's a lifestyle imitation through observation that is keenly, that is distinctly part of Christian, part of Christian discipleship. Okay? You're in Philippians 4. Go back a chapter to Philippians 3, verse 17. Look at this. Brothers, join in, what's it say? Join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on who? Those who walk. Those who do according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on those. He says, do this. Keep your eyes on them. I haven't had many real intimate discipleship relationships in my life. But I have had a few. And I realized as a senior or junior, I think it was as a senior in college, that I was, I might say ministering a lot or I was putting out a lot through Bible studies, but I didn't have a lot of spiritual, direct spiritual influence. And I was in a bit of a famine stage. I just wasn't receiving a lot of input or wisdom into my life. And uh, I thought about it for a while, and then I went to one of the pastors at Grace, and I said, hey, would you just consider meeting up with me for a while and uh, consider just a few weeks of spending some time with me? And he said, well, you really might want to watch my life and watch how I spend time with my wife or watch how I interact with other people or watch how I do some of these things before you ask me to disciple you. And I said, I have. I have watched you. I've been watching you closely to, to, to determine whether or not I do want to follow you. And that's what I know. There's a sensitivity towards watching people. So you're like, well, that's creepy. It's not creepy. It's imitation. Paul says, watch. Watch. Watch others who are godly. So why? So you can imitate them. So you can glean things from their life. Paul didn't just mean himself. He meant anyone who is walking in holiness. Anyone who's walking and who's worthy to be imitated. That's why, that's why there's older men and women in the church. That's why you should be operating. That's why you should be living your Christian life in the, in the context of the local church so you're around old, wise people so you can watch them and you can imitate them and you can learn from them and you can say, praise God for things they've walked through that I didn't even know existed yet. 
That's imitation. That's discipleship. Keep your eyes on those guys. Watch them. Learn from them. Observe them. Study them. I think of, uh, uh, it was about five years ago. It was just before I started here at Grace. And I was down at the Resolve Conference in Southern California. Uh, some of you here tonight were there as well. It was a great conference. Thousands of high school and college-age students at this conference down in Southern California. And there was a guy who initially started, his name's Rick Holland. He's actually one of our speakers for the Advanced Conference that's happening in September this year. But he was the one who coordinated that. That's kind of what born and bred our Advanced Conference here. And I was talking to him my time down there. I said, Rick, I was really excited. I'm coming on staff with Grace Bible Church. And he didn't know me from Adam. But he said, oh, yeah, I know the staff up there, Brian. He said, that's a great opportunity. He said, you should really pay attention to those guys. I said, Rick, I'm going to stick on those guys like leeches on flesh. And he's all like, what? You know, he's like looking at me. And I think I freaked him out. But that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I've tried to do from people in my life is just learn from them. As weird as that sounds, I would never use that illustration again. But, but you want to, he was like, get away from me. Can I get security in here? Uh, discipleship is that. It's direct observation. Life and practice, even, get this, even in the most intimate of settings. Discipleship happens everywhere. Okay? It happens at Cross Life. It happens on Sunday morning, but not merely in those type of settings. It happens in one's own home. Discipleship occur, occurs, I believe, often most fruitfully in the most intimate of settings. Sunday mornings at work, on the basketball court, on a Friday night, in their own home, with their own family. You need to watch people who have slippers on, who are in their life, in their context. Uh, women, you need to be around women who, who let their hair down. And you need to be a gal who doesn't mind being around women when your hair's not perfect. When you don't have your makeup on, you need to let people into your life in the most intimate of contexts. That's where discipleship happens. That's where real active discipleship happens. I, I don't want someone's alter ego on social media. Uh, most people are so much cooler online anyway. Uh, I want their real life. Okay, I, want, I want the intimate. I want people with slippers on. I want to see them. I want to see them. Okay. You want to let them see your work. I think of this area a lot because I think this is an area that's often neglected in discipleship. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Second Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9 as I read it. For you yourselves know and ought to Imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked day and night. We might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you, an, our, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul was full of this. He wanted an example to imitate. He, he was giving them a view of his work, not of his apostolic work, but of tent-making work, of his leather work. Listen, they should have been reimbursing him as a minister of the gospel, in his pastoral work, in his missionary work. They should have been paying him, but they weren't. And so, so as not to be a burden to any of them, Paul worked doubly hard. Why? Because he wanted to set an example for them. He made serious sacrifices so they could see how he lived, how he worked. He worked hard. They should have remunerated him, remunerated him in his spiritual labor, but they didn't. And so he worked hard. He made tents so people could say, he's a worker. 
so they could see. And this is an area, I bring this up because I think this is an area in serious spiritual drought in Christianity. I'm talking about hard work. I'm not talking about busyness. There's all kinds of busyness. I'm talking about hard work. I'm talking about showing people how to wash dishes. I'm talking about showing how people how to, how to work and serve and live. It's where discipleship happens. Old Puritan commentator Matthew Henry, I think, is really helpful here. He says this, Paul not only preached such doctrine that they ought to believe, but he led such a life as they ought to imitate it. He not only preached such doctrine as they ought to believe, but he led such a life as they ought to imitate. The life. The life. The Christian life. Discipleship is about letting and bringing people into life. The life. The life of a Christian. That's why we call it life on life. But it's not merely, or it's not only about watching. Okay? It's also about imitating someone's doctrine, someone's teaching, someone's life in that way. You remember we just read Philippians 4.9. It says, what you've learned and received, what you've heard. What you've heard and seen in me, practice these things. The God of peace be with you. Word and practice, heard and seen. Discipleship, again, involves both information disseminated through word of mouth and through life, through action. Of course, you know if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to disciple someone else, you've got to be practicing the truth you've also got to be preaching or speaking the truth. Okay? Just as there must be a do as I do, there's also this. There's also a do as I say or do as the Word of God says. There's a teaching aspect here. Okay? This is number two. This is hearing. Hearing. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Many of you are familiar with this. This is oft-quoted verse on discipleship and for good reason. We'd be... Uh, foul if we didn't go there. Second Timothy two two, all the T's are together. First and Second Thessalonians, and then First and Second Timothy says this. Paul's speaking to Timothy here, obviously, and he says, "What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be faithful or who will be able to teach others also." This public preaching stuff, this stuff that you've heard me say. Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, give it to faithful men. Give it to who? Not just anyone. Give it to faithful men. Give it to faithful people. Where's the faithful people? Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, who who can find a faithful man? I wonder this. Where are the faithful men? At this time of the semester, when things are crunching in, where are the faithful people? I believe I'm talking to a lot of them. We need faithful men and women. Faithful. When I'm looking, I'm looking for disciples. I'm looking for faithful disciples. They certainly got to be more than faithful, but they can't be anything less than faithful. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Where are the faithful? Where are the faithful in Bible studies? In church, in cross life, especially this time of year. Praise God for faithful men and women like many of you here tonight. I'm grateful. And uh, what about those faithful men and women? What do they do? They do this. They reproduce. They replace. They teach others. They'll be able to teach others also. So what? By now there's four generations. There's Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others also. You see how discipleship works? Discipleship works when it's played out, when people reproduce. And guess what? That takes time, doesn't it? We're going to talk about how discipleship hard work also is time-consuming. 
It's time-consuming in your own life, and often it has to play out over a number of years. I, I read something this week in preparation. It's helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. It's from a book called Disciples Made, Not Born by Walter Hendrickson. Hendrickson. Not Hendrickson, uh, like many of you think, in different Hendrickson. Walter A. Hendrickson says this, Making disciples takes time. It cannot be done through a series of lectures in a training seminar in the church, nor can it be done by reading through a book. It cannot be rushed. One of the dominant characteristics of our modern culture is the ability and desire to mass-produce. We want mass-producing everything. Cars, appliances, furnitures, pots, pans, household gadgets. It is so easy to take this mass-produced mentality and apply it to disciple-making. It cannot be done, he says. Disciples are made, but not mass-produced. Each one is molded and fashioned individually by the Spirit of God. How long it takes is a matter of conjecture and varies from person to person, depending on, to a large degree, where they were when they began in the training process. But one thing is certain, it does take time. The Lord Jesus began with 12 monotheistic, God-fearing men who came from reasonably good homes. He devoted himself full-time to their training and development. He was a master in the art of training, and yet it took him three full years. We can hardly hope to do it in less. End quote. Oh, well, we'd be amiss if we didn't look at Jesus' example. He was the master disciple-maker, wasn't he? He didn't mess up. He could say, imitate me, live as I live. I think, honestly, that's one of the neat things about discipleship in our day is you can live and watch people who live who aren't perfect. You can not only see their righteousness, their holiness, their disciplines, their obedience lived out, but you can even see sometimes when they mess up how they respond to sin, how they respond to misdeeds and misgivings. Jesus was the master disciple maker, and Paul was a great one. You're already in 2 Timothy. Go back a chapter to uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says this, Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow the pattern of sound words. There's words, there's teaching, there's truth that must be encountered through speech, through teaching in discipleship. And there's many good resources. Many good resources. I think one of the foremost is fundamentals of the faith. It's a great help to my own soul. It's been a great help in discipleship to me. There's uh, that gospel sheet that most of you should have by now, if not one, a couple of them. I've gone through that week by week, section through section, section by section for, what is there, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sections on there. That's seven weeks of memorizing a verse in each section. There's tons of good resources. Matt Tebow uh, has developed other good resources. There's tons of good resources, tons of good resources. Fundamentals of the faith, uh, just picking a, a book of the Bible to work through. But there must be teaching. There must be content. Okay? Content is vital in Christian discipleship. The studying, the memorization, the discussion of Holy Scripture. Teaching, teaching. By the way, this also means coming prepared. I feel like this is just seriously downplayed in Christian discipleship. It has been, I should speak for myself, in my own discipleship in the past. I only meet with a few people in a more intimate setting. I find that I can only be effective with a, with a small number of people. And part of that is because I have to do pre-work and I have to do post-work on the other side of that. I have to prepare 
I have to think about how can I pray for this person during the week? How can I talk about, how can I think about things that are brought up that, so we can deal with the past? How can I look at how we can press on into the future? How can I confront immediate sin issues but also move in a specific direction? It takes work. It takes planning. If you're going to teach, you have to come prepared. Okay? This is a whole life endeavor. This isn't limited to either hearing or seeing. It's both. It's both, okay? I say it again. Discipleship is done both by speaking and teaching and by living and practicing the truth in close and calculated proximity to other believers. Let me give you just a couple other things for free. Uh, I won't charge you for this. I think they're helpful, and uh, I hope that they'd be helpful for you. Things that you think about that I think you should think about when it comes to discipleship. One is this, leaders. Leaders. Leaders should set an example in discipleship. Hebrews 13.7 says this, Remember your leaders. Those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and, get this, imitate their faith. It says two things there. Those who spoke the word of God to you and consider the outcome of their life. Do you catch that? That's hearing and seeing. And then what? Imitate their life. Imitate their life. 1 Peter 5 is another great section on leadership. And it gives instruction to the pastor, elder there, and it says, uh, prove yourself to be a a leader and, and don't lord it over. Don't lord your position over other people. But what? Lead by example. Lead by example. The word the world uses that kind of language so often. That's biblical language. Lead by example. Your leaders lead by example. First Timothy four sixteen is this instruction to pastors. Keep a close watch on your life and your teaching. You seen these two come out? Your life and your teaching. Watch your life and your doctrine, leader. What other people are seeing and what they're hearing is going to be imitated. It's going to be imitated. And listen, that brings with it a huge amount of weight and responsibility and accountability, doesn't it? You bet it does. So leaders, also women. I think this goes for mentioning also in the free section. You don't have to pay for this. It's in Titus 2. Titus chapter 2. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And then it says this, And so train the younger women to love their husband and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Women, you want to learn how to do those things? How? You bet that you should read the Word of God. You know what else you should do? You should watch older women. One of the reasons I love and adore my wife is because she works so hard at this. She works so hard at watching other women. She works hard at also being an example to other women. That's the example in Scripture. Older women teach the younger women. Chronology, age-wise, you bet. But even more than that, spiritual maturity-wise. I'm not even so concerned about chronology in the Christian life. Does it matter? Yeah, yeah, it matters. But not as much as spiritual maturity matters. You older women, you more mature women, teach the younger women. Leaders, women. I want to move to the last section here. It's this. Active and passive discipleship. I I think this is a helpful distinction for me. I hope it is for you too. Active versus passive discipleship. It's the difference between imparting truth and letting truth be imparted. Okay, It's the difference between imparting truth on someone and letting them be imparted by that truth. It's the difference between letting your life be seen in a purposefully exposing way to a disciple 
and letting someone observe your life, perhaps more from a distance. This is the difference between Paul's relationship with Timothy and Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church. You catching the drift? Paul couldn't intimately disciple every one of those Corinthian believers, but he could disciple them in this way, in a more passive way, where they watched his life, they saw him. Timothy, that was active, very active discipleship. Okay, so some people are watching from afar. That's a good form of discipleship. That's what we might call shotgun discipleship, wide influence. doesn't tend to go as deep, but it's important. Passive or indirect discipleship is by virtue of influence and care, but not as much intentionality in a specific direction. Okay, So you might be passively discipled by people. In fact, there's people that have passively discipled me, and they don't even know it. They don't even know who I am. But by their teaching, by their ministry, and even by me watching their life, I've been discipled by them. 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11 says this. You can go there. You should be in 2 Timothy already. Chapter 1 we looked at, chapter 2. Now here's chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. You, however, this is in contrast to in the last days, there's going to be bad people. It goes through a long list, doesn't it? Yeah, there's going to be blasphemers. There's going to be people disobedient to the faith. So Paul says to Timothy, you, in contrast to all these other people, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Nine things. Nine things, Paul says. Timothy, you watched them, you followed them, you observed them, and now you're living them. This is active discipleship, isn't it? Timothy got into his life, he saw it, he watched it, he lived it. And then you've got his doctrine, his, his life, his whole everything. Discipleship is this, listen Christian, it's influence, it's teaching, it's hearing, it's seeing, it's watching, it's being influenced by godly people. You've seen it. You've followed it, Paul says to Timothy. Now you too imitate it. Do it. Be a witness. It's both passive and active, yet it's still done by speaking or teaching and by living or practicing the truth in close and calculated proximity to other believers. Okay? Acts, uh, active. Active discipleship. Let me continue on this track a little bit longer. Active says, here's nine things you've seen. Active discipleship maybe even assigns homework. It has specific intentions and goals and a direction. It tends to be intense. It tends to be full. It tends to be uh, even consuming for a discipler and a disciplee. Passive, on the other hand, is almost always, it almost always occurs in a Christian context larger. It occurs, it occurs to receptive hearts. You catch that? Receptive hearts. You want to be discipled and you're not in an active discipleship relationship. You have a humble, receptive heart. You watch and observe others' manner of life. You're going to be discipled. You're going to watch and you're going to imitate those things if you have a receptive, teachable, humble heart. This kind of discipleship uh, is not what we normally mean when we refer to the word discipleship, but it is certainly worth noticing. It is certainly worth noting since it reinforces, again, the need to be in fellowship. The need to be in the context of a local church where you can be discipled both passively and actively. There's another interesting thing about discipleship. It's this. I think it's worth noting. Discipleship is very, it's a very humbling experience, for lack of a better way to serve. There is very little glory in discipleship. Very little glory. 
It's hard work. And very often to someone, very, uh, it's not very often, someone comes and pats you on the back and says, well, you're doing a good job discipling. And that's okay. But discipleship is not a glorious thing. Jim Carlson, the president of Bible College here, I took one of his classes. This stuck with me more than anything else. And I think about this a lot in the context of discipleship and ministry. He said this, a lot can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. A lot can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. Discipleship's like that. Listen, there's nothing I've done. Everything that I am in my Christian life, whether uh, good, I'll take the bad. Anything good in my Christian life is owned wholly to God. And He's used individuals. They were the mechanism, people, through books, through teaching, through preaching, through influence, through experiences, through conferences, through all kinds of things. I can take no credit for my Christian life. I can take no credit for any of my holiness. It's all by grace, and by and large, God uses the mechanism of people in that. They don't get a lot of glory. There's not a lot of glory in Christian discipleship. What do we have that we have not been given? Amen? That's discipleship. It's not glorious in the sense that people see it and pat you on the back, but it's glorious in this sense. It is one of the most rewarding endeavors you will ever take part of in Christian life. Mark it. Mark it. Oh, discipleship's good. It is so fun and challenging, isn't it? If you've done it, man, it's hard. It's good. Uh, multiplication takes, takes shape in the process of discipleship. It's a slow process. But it's a process of multiplication. Over the course of your life, you take time to impact one person that person impacts another person and impacts another person. It's a chain reaction. By the way, you want to know a good way to gauge if you're making disciples and if your disciples are continuing on? It's this. Ask yourself, do you have any grandchildren? You might have spiritual children. Do you have any grandchildren? Are, let me say it this way. Are your disciples making disciples? That's a good sign that your discipleship is working, that God's blessing it, that He's using it. Okay? Let me close out by this. Have you picked a life objective? Have you thought, I want my life to be characterized by this? At Grace, our mission statement is this, to glorify God by being and making disciples. That's a pretty good place to start. You don't have to take that verbatim, but I think it's a pretty good place to start. You want to glorify God? I want to glorify God. How? Let's do it by being and making disciples. You know that when Jesus was on the cross, He said, it is finished. What did it refer to? It referred to the redemption, the payment of sin, the wrath absorbed by His Holy Father. It is finished, paid in full. The price of sins was paid. But He also said that another time. He said it in John seventeen four, And when He was praying to the Father, 40 times in that chapter, He refers to His disciples. And it's in that context that He says, my work is finished. My work is finished with what? With the disciples. The work you gave me, it's finished. It's finished. The work of His ministry had been completed. Don't waste college. Don't waste your life. I don't want you to look back on college and look at this unique time in your life and go, blew it, wasted it. I would hate for that to happen. You seniors, you're graduating soon. Next week we'll celebrate in a special way for you. You don't want to look back on your Christian life, on your college life, and say, wasted it. Let it slip by. Junior, sophomore, freshman, super-duper senior. (laughs) 
If you have been wasting your Christian life, change it now. Glorify God by being and making disciples. This is the cream of the crop. This is going on offense. This is discipleship. This is fun. This is enlivening to me. I get a kick out of being and making a disciple. I don't do it perfectly. In fact, I think, uh, I'll say this in all honesty, I think a lot of the people I disciple are kind of like, really? <laughs> that's it? Yeah, that's your life? But all I can do is live it out in front of people and it's enlivening. I hope you catch that flavor. I hope you get a taste. I hope you want to be a disciple. And I pray, I beg that you'd go and make disciples. When you lay down to die, may you be able to say, it's finished. Oh, mission you gave me, I fulfilled it. I did it. It's exciting. It's painstaking. It's humbling. It's not glorious, but it's enlivening. And it's obedient. It's a sign of your love and submission to Christ. I want you to take a minute. You have your handout sheet. I want you to, there's two questions there on the bottom of your sheet. I want you to take a minute to answer those questions, to look through those questions, to think about those questions. There's two questions there. You can jot some stuff down if you have a pen. If you don't have a pen, just think about it. To wrap your thoughts up there. You can take more time to do this in your personal time and devotions. I just want to give you a minute to reflect while it's still fresh in your mind to answer honestly some questions, uh, not just for your boyfriend or girlfriend, but for you. <laughs> Are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? Let's pray together. Lord, may we be able to say like Paul at the end in his swan song, say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but all who loved his appearing. May we be able to lay our heads down, yes, even on our pillows tonight, and say, I'm running. I'm in the race. Not perfectly, (laughs) not by any stretch. But may we be able to humbly say, yes, I'm trying. Through evangelism, through discipleship, I'm running the race. I'm doing the work. Lord, in the end, may we, whether we're really excelling at this or whether we're just totally lacking in this, may we ultimately be able to look to Jesus. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God where He makes, where You make intercession for us. What a comfort. What a blessing wherever we are. Oh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the cross. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.